I don't know how to use Microsoft Word, everyone. I, I have this giant monitor in the podcast studio, and I can't seem to look at Microsoft Word and Google Chrome at the same time. And I also can't talk directly into the microphone when I'm trying to figure out how to look at the monitor. I don't think my neck can handle this. Also, I'd like to issue an apology in advance. If I have astounding amounts of vocal fry right now, okay, I apologize. I've I've been taking cough drops. I've been pounding water all morning, and it won't go away. And I know a lot of times when college kids have vocal fry, it's like, okay, you're just hungover. You had a fun night. You were singing along to the songs, and you're hungover and you have vocal fry. And I wish I could tell you that's what it was, but it was me sitting alone in my car, scream singing, we are never getting back together, Taylor's version. Honorable, the Chief Justice and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Oh yay, oh yay, oh yay. All persons having business before the Honorable, Supreme Court of the United States are admonished to give their attention for the court is now sitting. God save the United States and this honorable court. Hi everyone, welcome to the second episode of Docket Talk. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about Wooden versus the United States, which is the first case that was argued before the Supreme Court uh, this term. I want to say it's complicated, but it's the first case that I've done, so I kind of don't want to uh, jinx it, and hopefully I'll be able to fit this all in one one episode of a reasonable length, but there is a chance that each case is going to take multiple parts, and the reason for that isn't that there's just huge amounts of information to talk about it, which, I mean, there are, but that's that's not it. It's because... Even if I'm summarizing the best that I possibly can without taking out any facts of the case, there are a lot of legal definitions that I'm going to need to explain as I go. And that takes up a lot of time. But that's kind of the point of this. So I'm not going to rush that. And I'm certainly not going to cut out the explanations because, again, that would defeat the entire purpose of the podcast. Let's get into it. Wooden versus the United States. It was granted February 22nd, 2021, and it was argued before the Supreme Court on October 4th, 2021. The decision and the citation are still pending, so we don't know what the court has decided yet, but we have heard the arguments for both sides. According to OIA.org, Wooden v. United States is a case in which the court will decide whether, under the Armed Career Criminal Act, offenses that were committed as part of a single criminal spree but sequentially in time were, quote, committed on occasions different from one another, end quote, for purposes of a sentencing enhancement. I'm going to explain that because it, that's one sentence and I wish it weren't. So first, the Armed Career Criminal Act, or the ACCA, has specific qualifications. So to qualify as an armed career criminal, a defendant must have three prior violent felony or serious drug offense convictions. To constitute separate convictions under the ACCA, the crimes must be committed on occasions different from one another. And that little explanation is from uh, SCOTUS blog. It's a really great source. It's a good way to stay up to date on the Supreme Court uh, if you prefer reading rather than listening. Obviously, if you prefer listening to someone talk about the Supreme Court, that's why you're here and you, and you should stay. Thanks. 
So the petitioner is William Dale Wooden. The respondent is the United States. And just really quick, I'm going to explain what petitioner and respondent are. A petitioner is someone who basically goes, hey, Supreme Court, I don't like this ruling that was made. Can you look at it and just like, can you make sure that they did this right? Because I don't think they did. And the defendant, or excuse me, the respondent, which is similar to a defendant, that's why I got that mixed up, is the person who's, it's like, they're the ones who are at question for whether or not they did it right. So in this case, it's the United States. (laughs) And that is generally the case for a lot of Supreme Court respondents. They tend to be like the United States or a specific state within the U.S. And the lower court that heard this case prior to the Supreme Court was the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. And really quickly, I'm going to explain what circuits are (laughs) because it's not intuitive. So first of all, the courts of appeals or appellate courts, they basically, they decide whether or not the law was applied correctly in the trial court. So say someone robs a bank and they get charged with theft and in, in the trial courts and they think they were given way too many years in prison and they don't think it's fair. They can appeal it and it will go to the appellate courts and the appellate courts are supposed to decide well they did apply the law correctly there you should have gotten that many years in prison so tough or they'll go you know what they didn't apply the law correctly you should have only gotten five years in prison and circuits is to me a very strange (laughs) word it's basically just like the geographical makeup of the court system like it's geographic boundaries of which court has jurisdiction in an area. So there's there's 11 circuits. The first circuit includes Maine, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. The second circuit includes Vermont, New York, and Connecticut. Third circuit includes Pennsylvania, New Jersey. And in this case, the sixth circuit, that includes Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee. So the Court of Appeals for the sixth circuit was the last court to hear this case from William Wooden. So the advocate for the petitioner is Alon Kedem, and Erica L. Ross is the advocate advocate for the respondent. They're the people making the arguments before the Supreme Court on behalf of the petitioner and the respondent. So the facts of the case, and I'm reading directly from OA.org here because the facts of the case aren't exactly something you can paraphrase. Like, the language is important, and also, you know, I, I do try to avoid using super long quotes when I'm podcasting because the whole point is it's me talking, but the facts of the case are the facts of the case. It, that's <laughs> That's just kind of how it is. So I apologize. Bear with me. So in... 1997, William Wooden broke into a mini storage facility in Georgia and stole from 10 different units, resulting in 10 counts of burglary, to which he pled guilty. Then, in 2014, a plainclothes officer went to Wooden's home, where he witnessed Wooden in possession of a rifle. Wooden was arrested and charged in state court with being a felon in possession of a firearm, but the case was dismissed when the district attorney noted that there was no probable cause for Wooden's arrest. But Wooden was subsequently charged by federal indictment with being a felon in possession of a firearm and ammunition. After Wooden was found guilty, the district court found during his sentencing hearing that Wooden actually qualified as an armed career criminal under the ACCA based on his conviction for 10 counts of burglary 
and sentenced him to 15 years imprisonment accordingly. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit affirmed, finding that Wooden's prior burglaries were separate from each other despite occurring as part of a single criminal spree. That brings us to the question. Are offenses committed as part of a single criminal spree, but sequentially in time, committed on occasions different from one another for purposes of sentencing enhancement under the Armed Criminal Armed Career Criminal Act? So in regular English, does each unit that wouldn't broke into count as an individual separate burglary, or was it all one criminal spree? And if so, can they charge him with the longer sentence under the ACCA? I'm just going to I'm going to give an example here because I was thinking of how best to explain the facts in the in the question. So for my UMass people, because most of the audience for the Amherst Wire podcast are at UMass. And if not, you know somebody at UMass, so you could probably figure it out. So say I, for example, I decide I'm going to go on a criminal spree and Dean's office. I'm joking. This is a joke. If you put me on probation, I will have nothing left in this life. Okay, so I'm joking. This is for academic and educational purposes. So that means it's okay. Say I broke into Eisenberg and I stole, I don't know, some of their funding, although they might kind of need it now because apparently that building was like underwater yesterday. (laughs) Like campus kind of flooded. But anyway, I take some of their funding and I give it to the legal studies department. Why do I do that? Because the legal studies department is generally housed in either Mockmer Hall or Herder Hall. And I'm sorry, they're really musty. They have a distinct odor and I'm and I'm tired of it. I want us to have a nice fancy building. Okay. Anyway, I go I break into Eisenberg and I steal money. And I then go across the street to the design building. I go to the Post and Bean Cafe, but I don't steal anything there. I'm like an upstanding citizen, okay? I I go to the Post and Bean Cafe. I wait in line patiently. I don't invade other people's personal space. Like we, we are still more or less in a pandemic. Why are you breathing on me? I, I respect social distancing. Okay, I say please and thank you to the barista. I pay for my coffee. I get a large iced oat milk latte. Okay, get a large iced oat milk latte in case anyone wants to bring me coffee. That's that's. I highly recommend it from Post and Bean Cafe too. Like that is genuinely some of the best espresso and oat milk I have ever been blessed with in my lifetime. Anyway. I go to the Post and Bean Cafe. I'm an upstanding citizen. I pay for my coffee. I take a little coffee break. You know, I drink my my iced latte. I'm not committing any crimes. I'm just hanging out. I'm taking a break. I got tired. Uh, UMPD hasn't caught on yet. So I'm like, hmm, where to next? I walk up the hill to Frank Dining Hall and I steal one of those high tables. You know, the ones, the ones that you always want to sit in. Like if you're only sitting with a couple people or like you're eating by yourself and you don't want to sit at one of those super long tables where it's like you feel like you're in a banquet hall in like medieval Europe or something and you just got to get to know people in ways you never wanted to. You know what I'm talking about? I take one of those small tables, okay? And my plan with that small table, right? I'm carrying it out of the dining hall. I'm going to sell it on the underground student market for dining hall seating. Shout out to the Daily Collegian. That satire article was really funny. At this point, we can't find seats. Subaswami, if you're listening, we need more dining hall seating. Okay? Okay? I take one of those tables, too. So now I've I've broken into Eisenberg. 
I went to the Post and Bean and I got a coffee. No crimes committed. Then I go to Frank and I steal a table. And let's say, what's close to Frank? Oh, okay. Then I go to Durfee Conservatory and I take some supplement clippings, which you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to do that. That is honestly the most atrocious crime you could commit because Durfee Conservatory is a sacred place and you don't mess with it. But say I did, say I was going real crazy and I took some succulent clippings from Durfee Conservatory. I've now committed three crimes, right? But like, I took a break in the middle. So are they going to say she technically, she just kind of committed one big crime of burglary and these buildings were all kind of next to each other so is it one just big count of burglary like yeah I broke into three different places but like they were right next to each other they were right there or would they say well no because there was a little bit of time in between she stopped to get that coffee so is it separate counts of burglary can they can they charge me with three counts of burglary like, in the time it took me to walk from point A to point B and get my coffee, does that count as a break? Does that make it a separate incident? Or are they going to say, well, you didn't, you got, you, you were stealing stuff. It's the same crime. And then, like, three weeks later, I just have a gun. <laughs> three weeks later, I have a gun. And UMPD is like, hey, you, you have a gun. You can't have a gun. And then they look at my record and they're like, oh, you had that weird, like, burglary moment there. So now they get a fi well, <laughs> the police don't figure that out. They take me to court. And then the court is trying to figure out how long they want to put me in jail. Okay. And so they're like, well, she did, she did break into those buildings. But is that one count of burglary? Like, you did a lot of burglary, but all at the same time, so that's just one count? Or is it three different counts of burglary? And then on top of that, you had a gun. So is it one count of burglary, and then you had a gun? Or is it three counts of burglary, and then you had a gun? And the difference, it's whether or not I get sentenced an extra 15 years in prison. Okay, so now, now let's talk about the arguments. And just for reference, I get transcripts of the arguments from supremecourt.gov. The cool thing about most government procedures in a democracy, as you would hope, uh, do become public. So you can find a lot of what I'm referencing just in like a simple Google search, but it's really dense. And this is an 87 page PDF that I'm looking at right now. Okay. <laughs> I don't just have vocal fry at this point. I have brain fry. Okay. So up first was Mr. Kadem, who was arguing on behalf of the petitioner, so William Wooden. And he was saying, hey, look, Armed Career Criminal Act, it's, I'm going to quote him here, it singles out the most intractable offenders for the harshest punishments by requiring three qualifying offenses committed on occasions different from one another. That phrase does not apply to defendants like Mr. Wooden, who commit their crimes in a single criminal episode. That right there, that is his argument in a nutshell. He didn't commit 10 different burglaries. It was just one big old burglary. <laughs> All right. And um, Kadem explains he like he, his issue here is the government has a test to determine whether or not crimes are committed 
sequentially or simultaneously? Like, are they separate from one another or is it all just one big crime? And he's saying, like, the test is, and I'm quoting him again, the government would ask whether the final element of each offense was satisfied at the same instant, creating a simultaneity test on steroids. And the government would tack on yet another requirement that crimes must be factually congruent or intertwined as well as some simultaneous. Kadem goes further and he says, instead of using this test that you guys have that's crazy and it's unfair, instead of doing that, the Supreme Court should look at it like, as he put it in, in plain English, Mr. Wooden's mini storage break-in was a single occasion involving 10 different burglaries, right? But they're not separate. It was a single occasion that those 10 burglaries happened. Then the judges start grilling him, as is tradition. <laughs> and the way that he's proposing that the court looks at it isn't very easy to define. And that's what the justices were having issue with. And Thomas says, kind of like my example, say someone commits a burglary and then <laughs> I'm going to quote him. He's like, uh... What if they said, look, it's time. We've we've got lots of time. We can go to Starbucks, grab a cup of coffee or something like that. Actually, Dunkin' Donuts and get a cup of coffee or something. I mean, and then they stay for an hour or two. Is that enough of a break? I'm just trying to figure out what you think a break would be to break up the continuity. And Kadem just kind of says, well, you got to take everything into account. you got to look at the context of the situation. There's not like a time limit. There's not a circumstance specifically that you could look at that would break up the crimes you just you got to look at the whole the whole big picture and he says if you're talking about an activity for instance that lasts a matter of hours a few seconds or minutes in between is almost never going to be described as a new occasion justice kagan said uh hold on a minute you said first that it's not really a matter of how long the break was between the crimes and now you're saying that there's it's only a, t a couple minutes, then it doesn't matter. So you are taking time into account. And Kadem says, well, no, timing does play a role, but it's not necessarily the primary role. You got to look at the, the circumstances and the context. And Justice Kagan <laughs> says, and I quote, I think what Justice Thomas might have been responding to is just a feeling that this is a very loosey goosey test, you know, that it's. And all things considered, totality of the circumstances. We don't even really quite know what we're supposed to look at to decide whether something is an occasion or, to take your synonym, an episode. And so, you know, what would your response to that be? That it's just, you know, the words you use in your brief, a juncture of circumstances providing conditions that are favorable for related activities or events. I mean, how are we supposed to know when that happens? And Kadem goes on to say, like, yeah, this is qualitative. It's not quantitative. There's no time limit. Um, it's not like you can say, well, you know, two minutes occurred between the crimes. So it's actually, that would only be one singular count because two minutes isn't that long. That's not really what Kadem is trying to argue. And what the justices seem to be taking issue with is it's like, well, how are we going to apply this in the future? Just saying, well, we'll look at context and we'll see how it feels <laughs> isn't really something that makes it easy to apply to cases in the future because it really relies on how the judge feels about it. All right, uh, let's talk about Erica Ross's argument. So Erica Ross is advocating for the United States, basically saying like, yeah, Wooden does count as an armed career criminal. So Erica Ross comes right out and says, quote, the government's rule is faithful to the text and it does not depend on synchronicity between the final elements of different crimes. Rather, two crimes are committed on occasions different from one another when their essential conduct elements are satisfied by different acts. That reflects the statute's text. 
so basically she's saying, you know how Kadam said uh, the government isn't using the plain English understanding of the statute? She's saying, no, well, actually they are. And she goes on to say, quote, if the same act satisfies an element of two different crimes, then the commission of each offense is not a different occasion that is a different event, occurrence, or happening. The government's test also furthers the statute's purpose because it separates defendants who have been held criminally responsible for multiple discrete acts from those who have been held responsible for a single act that resulted in several statutory violations. She says there's a simple rule of thumb. If one offense is over before the next begins, then the two are committed on different occasions because their essential elements are necessarily accomplished through different acts. And she's saying okay say somebody burglarizes a whole street there's 10 houses on the street because they're individual houses that's 10 separate burglaries and then she says uh, an example where it would be different acts that would qualify as one occasion is say there's a big crowd of people and uh, someone goes in and pickpockets 10 of them in the exact same way within seconds of one another, like pickpockets one person and then goes to the second person, then the third, then the fourth, then the fifth, like as fast as they possibly can, and then leaves only after they've pickpocketed those 10 people. And she uh, she agrees um, in her argument that uh, Kadem's approach, like his test that he's proposing would yield inconsistent results. Different judges will have different intuitions. And the justices ask her, like, is the way that the government is, is the way that the government is upholding the ACCA now, does that violate the Sixth Amendment? Um, and in this case, the Sixth Amendment applies because it, it the Sixth Amendment basically outlines the rights of people who are on a criminal trial. Like, if, if you commit a crime, right, you have the right to a lawyer. You have a right to a, a fair and speedy trial with the jury of your peers. That's the Sixth Amendment. But it also um, it goes further to protect defendants against quote, judicial fact-finding that enlarges the maximum punishment a defendant faces beyond what the jury's verdict or the defendant's omissions allow. That's from uh, law. Justia? Justia? <laughs> dot com. Uh, J-U-S-T-I-A. <laughs> so basically it's saying the judge... <laughs> The judge can't go and, and, and say, okay, well, look, I know the jury said you only get 10 years, but I'm going to, I'm going to look, I'm going to look really hard into your life and I'm going to find a way to charge you with a 15 year sentence. Ross says that the government's current test to determine whether crimes are committed simultaneously or not does avoid that. And uh, the reasoning for that is because it is so picky about when it determines that crimes were committed simultaneously. Her example is, uh, quote, if the indictment says, you know, there were two robberies on June 20th, we have Jones and we have Smith. But it also says Jones was at, you know, 1030 Northern Boulevard and Smith was at 1050 Northern Boulevard. We're going to know that those were two separate occasions. And again, that's the kind of fact that I think judges can rely on without contravening the Sixth Amendment. It's the kind of fact, for example, that if it had changed between the indictment and the jury trial or the conviction, you would think there would be a constructive amendment problem, for example. So I think these are the sort of types of facts in our view that you can look at. Like these, um, basically she's saying like these facts of separate burglaries that were committed, they are, they're relevant. It's not an attempt uh, by the judicial system to give somebody an unreasonably long sentence. And she's arguing that them 
actually, his test would make it more likely for justices to violate the Sixth Amendment. Because Kadem is arguing uh, for a less specific test to see if crimes are committed simultaneously. So it leaves it up to the judge to determine whether or not somebody can be sentenced with one count of burglary or 10 counts of burglary. And it's leaving it up to the judge to determine that. So it's it's leaving it up to the judge and that leaves more room for violating the Sixth Amendment, essentially. So that's like the very, very, very basic gist of the arguments of both sides. And I don't want to go over an hour. So uh, now I'm going to get into a little bit of what my speculations are. I do think they're going to side with Erica Ross. I think they're going to side with the ruling that was already made that uh, Wooden counts as an armed career criminal. And I think the reason for that is, one, just how they reacted to Kadem's argument. They didn't seem to be buying it, in my opinion. And I think the reason for that is because Kadem's argument is very intuitive to use. It allows for a lot of interpretation by the judges. And I think something to keep in mind is what the Supreme Court decides becomes what every judge in America is expected to do. And I think what the justices are worried about is if you give every judge in America the ability to sort of use their intuition to decide whether or not somebody gets an extra 15 years of jail time under the Armed Career Criminal Act, you're going to get a lot of inconsistencies. And like, yes, as Kadem was saying, the government's uh, simultaneity test is very, very narrow, but that's for a reason. That's to eliminate any chance for misinterpretation or inconsistent interpretation by other judges. In, in my opinion, anyway, that's my speculation. And I would say generally that's reflected in Supreme Court decisions. The more consistently the law is applied across the country, the more credible it looks, right? And if the Supreme Court is advocating for judges to use their intuition over a very specific legal test, then that is going to make the law appear to be very inconsistent. When I first started reading the case, I did think like, yeah, I, I, I believe that wouldn't did commit just one big burglary just by the nature of like, if you've ever seen those storage units, um, it's like 10 garages are all connected to each other, right? So I don't know if they would count as separate structures, but then I was kind of thinking about it. I was getting into it. Like different people use each one. That's, and they're owned by different people. So if someone broke into an apartment complex and robbed 10 different apartments, that's technically 10 different homes. That's 10 different residences. Like, yeah, it's all technically in the same building, but that's 10 different kitchens and 10 different bedrooms. And if you started saying, okay, uh, a storage unit or a storage complex with 10 different units that got robbed is actually just one robbery. Well, how do you compensate um, the 10 different families, for example? You can't just say, well, you actually uh, all experienced the same robbery. L like you, <laughs> each of you had the same thing taken. It's, it's different. The, 
that to me doesn't, I don't see how that would work. And I, and I think that, listen, I hate, whenever people talk about the law and they start talking about a slippery slope, I tune out. But I'm sorry, it's, it seems to me like a slippery slope because then, okay, look at dorm rooms, for example. Say someone breaks into um, JQA in Southwest and they break into 20 different rooms and they're on different floors, but like that's 10 or 20, that's 20 different residences. That's 20 different people affected. And it's not the same thing as if someone broke into like a house and went into different rooms. It's, it's still the same house. It's still the same residence. But 20 different dorm rooms, that's 20 different people. That's 20 different, like your whole life is in your dorm room. It's not the same as if someone were to break into your living room and then your kitchen. It's as if someone broke into different houses. They just happen to be very, very small homes. <laughs> So yeah, my my speculation is I think they're gonna side with Ross. Um, I think they're gonna uphold that Wooden is an armed career criminal, and I think that does go along with um, a more conservative kind of like hands off uh, approach. Because again, if justices have enough power to sort of use their intuition to determine someone's sentencing, um, that gives a lot of power to the centralized government. And I think that is not something that this court is going to be doing. We're going to be doing Mississippi versus Tennessee, a case in which the court will resolve a dispute over groundwater rights between Mississippi and Tennessee. And I know that doesn't sound super interesting, but um, I don't know if anybody's been keeping an eye on the way that the world is going, but we're running out of resources. <laughs> Uh, so pretty much anything that involves resources, like especially water, I think we need to be collectively paying attention to it. That's all for today's episode. The sources that I used, I used, let's see, I used oya.org, um, uscourts.gov, scotusblog.com, and supremecourt.gov. All of those are really excellent sources if you want to get into a little bit more detail uh, on your own, or if you want to look ahead and see what the court is going to be arguing and the kind of stuff that I'm going to be talking about, um, they do a very good job. Uh, SCOTUS blog tends to have a bit more analysis, and OAA.org is more so just like the facts of the case. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CRiverNider and on Instagram at Selena Rivernider, YouTube also Selena Rivernider, and you can check out AmherstWire.com for more of my work, more of my podcasts. I also write articles and do documentaries occasionally, and you can also see um, the work done by my peers. They do really amazing work. It's not just podcasts that we do, though we do really good podcasts, I'm not going to lie. Uh, we also do campus news. We do lifestyle articles. There's a lot of stuff that you can check out that uh, is it should be interesting for everyone. There's something for everyone. Um, also, if you're interested in writing for the Amherst Wire or maybe producing your own podcast, we have writers meetings every Monday at 6 p.m. on the fourth floor of the ILC in the Journalism Hub. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, because this is a new podcast, I always appreciate comments and questions. So you can reach out to me on social media or you can go to the comments section under this episode on AmherstWire.com. Thanks for listening.